Welcome back to the Business of Biotech. I'm your host, Matt Piller, and today we're once again joined by friend of the show, Alan Shaw. Alan, it's always great to have you back. Uh, Thanks, Matt. Great to be back. Yeah. So we're going to spend today's show painting an illustration of, of success in biopharma. But before we get started, I wanted to take a minute to acknowledge that when this episode airs, we will be celebrating our one year anniversary of the Business of Biotech podcast, which coincides with the one-year anniversary of our partner and its production, Cytiva. Uh, needless to say, Alan, it has been a wild year to launch a podcast focused on the business of biotech. Um, but I want to I want to ask you to to help us commemorate uh, the the milestone. And in the spirit of nostalgia, I'm I'm going to throw a curveball question at you. Um, so if Alan Shaw is thinking about the, the past 360 plus uh, days in this space, wild as they've, as they've been, uh, share with us a key moment or highlight uh, from, from your work in this space that's kind of drawn out of this crazy time. Um, just sort of, as I said, to commemorate in a nostalgic way, the fact that we're a year into this project. Certainly, uh, that's an int- really a very interesting question, given the backdrop of the last year. There's a lot of different ways one can really go on that. Yeah. I-, I think in terms of the, you know, the industry, notwithstanding, you know, a year that most people would prefer to not remember, uh, I-, I would say from an industry, it- it's it's been a, a remarkable uh year on on um on really a seminal year on many levels but i i think to not dominate this conversation with that that could probably be an episode in itself i think maybe we did one but anyway um i I would speak to the fact of the industry broadly you know going into this year I, i would say that the biopharmaceutical industry was the favorite whipping boy uh of the media and of the world and, you know, and, and, it, and it was always ironic to me that when you consider the level of disdain that, that the industry was subject to, which is usually, you know, reserved for industries causing global health problems, such as tobacco, mm-hmm. I always found it ironic that, you know, we arguably provided more, more positive impact on humanity uh, relative, relative to so many other ways the resources are allocated, like defense uh, or other things like that. So, you know, to me, what I thought was really nice for a change is I think there's been a paradigm shift in terms of how the industry is now viewing the biopharma sector. And I think the way the industry's pulled together is one. And, and, and I mean, it's just unbelievable when you reflect that in less than a year we've been able to go from 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 discovery to actually having drugs uh available to vaccinate against COVID-19 and I think the world is appreciating that uh, and I think you see the capital allocation that's moving into the industry on the capital market speaking of that so I don't see any of this as as accidental Right. I think it's really recognition that our industry is is arguably best equipped to make a positive impact on society. And and that's refreshing. It's really nice that that's finally uh, uh, aligned itself better. 
Yeah, I joined at a, I guess a fortuitous time. I, I, I joined this space because I, I wasn't here for the, uh, you know, the, the, the whipping, <laughs> the, the whipping that the industry took for, for so long. Uh, it's all, it's been all sunshine and roses since, since I've joined the space. And, you know, I think, uh, that it's a great point that you make about the, this time that we're in, um, and I, and I think it, it frames up today's conversation quite nicely. You know, we're going to talk about the elements, the sort of the building blocks, elements of of of, uh, of success in the space. And I think that um, that's it's a timely discussion because those elements may look different two years from now. They might may look different twelve months twelve months from now, depending on on where we're at. Um, so before we get into these these key design elements in the in the painting of a successful biopharma, I wanted to get your uh, perspective on on where we're going with this conversation. What you know, we'll we'll talk some specifics uh, in in terms of those design elements. But but what's the outcome we're looking for? How how do you define success uh, in in biopharma? You know, success means different things to different people. You know, I, I think from my from my perspective, you know, success in biopharma is being able to bring a novel, impactful drug to help solve a medical problem, to help patients, uh, to help change the standard of care or even create a standard of care where there are not alternative therapies. You know, there's a lot of therapies that, you know, just by definition, if there's not an, a therapeutic alternative, they're generally misdiagnosed. So, you know, so to me, that that is success uh, to really be able to make an impact on patients. And and, and that's I'd like what, what I like about biopharma. You know, you're doing good by doing good. Um, but that that's a long journey when you look at, at the, um, the various steps along the way. And that then when you take a step back, that's like climbing a mountain. It's a huge mountain. Right. Um, you know, some people say bringing a drug to the market is like getting to heaven. You know, so so when you take a step back, you know, I think you need to look at the incremental steps to get you there. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of incremental steps that if you don't get those parts right, you're never getting to the top of the mountain. Yeah. Uh, but I, but that, you know, in terms of endpoints, you know, we look at, at clinical endpoints, you know, I would say endpoint is, you know, make bring an impactful drug to the market. Sure. Yeah. When you talk about those incremental steps, um, you know, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time on this podcast and in this position talking with uh, biopharma execs, leaders of, of biopharma's, you know, large, small and in between. Um, and one thing that I've learned is that there's not always a super clear chronology in those in those incremental steps. Right. The continuum is not always uh prescriptive, let's say. Um, so I'm not sure, you know, if, I, I guess I'd ask you if, if we start looking at those increments, you know, those, those building blocks and, and the successes that each of them represent, uh, do, do you try to ascribe in the work that you do with, uh, with biopharmas, do you, do you try to ascribe some sort of a chronology, a, a methodology, a method, method, um, methodology in the approach, you know, step one, step two, step three, or, uh, or, or not so much? You know, that's an, that's an, that's an interesting question. You know, I, I've never thought about it as, as formally, 
mm-hmm. as you put forward like that. You know, I, I, you know, a lot of it has become, I guess, instinctive or it becomes really more embedded in terms of your philosophy or your values in terms of how you approach things. Uh, you know, kind of like your kids, you know, you want to establish those right, the right value system because you can't always be with them at the end of the day, but you want them to be able to make those innate decisions and, and know what to do when those situations come. Um, and, and similarly, so I don't go in with a new situation. See, these are, these are Alan's rules or these are the ways you need to go about doing it because every situation has its own life and there's a reason for why they're doing things. But I think there is a common theme in terms of mistakes that people make or short-sightedness or, 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 or again, it's another way where I see where I, you know, low-hanging fruit where it's very easy to make a positive impact <laughs> at the end of the day there you go. When, you, yeah. when, you, when you get in there. Um, so, you know, speaking to some of those thoughts, you know, I, I think it, it all begins and ends with efficient and optimal uh, resource allocation, you know, um, and I think that's something that when, when there's a lot of liquidity and a lot of money being thrown around, it's, it's somewhat overlooked. And, and, and I think and, and, and bad decisions and bad allocations get masked as well. Uh, and we could spend a lot of time talking about that. But, you know, I think it really capital resource allocation, how you prioritize things and your focus. I think it begins and starts from there and then you can expand out. But yeah. That, when you say masked, you're saying like, uh, you know, ca- capital is relatively easy to get your hands on right now. So it's easy to kind of cover up, cover up the mistakes or pay for, if you will, the, the, the mistakes. Yeah, ab- Absolutely. No question. No question about it. Yeah. Well, what's uh, you know, you and I have had conversations about the fact that uh, th- this time that we're in, this extraordinary time that we're in, um, isn't necessarily gonna. It's not, it's not gonna be sunshine and roses forever. So when it comes to to capital uh, and capital efficiency, what what advice do you give around? You know, hey, I I, I realize that you're flush perhaps right now, um, but as I said, you may not be in twelve months. You may not be in two years. What advice do you give around allocation uh, of that capital, even in even in these flush times that we're in right now? You know, I, I, it's, I think it's natural. I think we've all seen the movie that when there's m- more capital available, there's generally less discipline with the uh, the process of allocating in terms of the projects that you do, and, and, and even the level of risk that you take on as an, as an organization. Um, so, you know, the, I, you know, I usually urge people to generally try to apply the same level of discipline, whether they have a uh, uh, million dollars in the bank or a hundred million dollars in the bank or whatever that, that number is, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's really important to remain strategic as you as you do this and, and, and focus on what you what needs to be done to create value as opposed to necessarily pander to the market hubris to what the market what you think the market wants you to be doing yeah yeah 
There's a fine, you know, it's a, that's a tough thing, I think, probably, especially for folks who are new in the space to define, because there's a, you know, there, there's there's obviously competition on on the product front, right? Uh, competition to that endpoint that you talked about, but there's also competition to perception. Uh, you know, you, you talk about competitive advantage, and you talk about how, how to relate that to, to capital efficiency and capital conservatism, if you will. It's sort of a philosophical question, but how, how do you determine money well spent when, you know, perhaps in this, in this, in this time in particular, your, um, your, your peers, your competitors are spending a lot of money on, on probably per- perception that, you know, maybe isn't such a good idea yet. There's, there's a, there's gotta be pressure to, to, to follow suit. Right. So wh- where's the balance? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's what, what you say is easier said than done. Uh, right. Or what I'm saying is easier said than done, I guess is better put. Mm. Um, I, 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 in, in, in response, you know, I think you still need to kind of not fall in the trap of keeping up with the Joneses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because that, that some of that's premised on the fact that the spigot is going to continue to be available. And, you know, those that are doing that, when the music stops, they're going to get caught out at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, I, so therefore, well, it's easy to fall into that trap, um, you know, and, and I see it. I, I see trends there. You know, you, you saw that a couple of years back, you know, every oncology company wanted to suddenly be an I.O., Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's fashionable to be in precision oncology, you know, so, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing people kind of putting themselves into the boxes because those are the f- of the flavors of the day. But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, none of that is durable and none of that's sustainable. It's all about execution. So, you know, I, I would ultimately respond that you need to focus on executing and creating data and, and fundamentally de-risking, you know, the assets that you've chosen to develop. Yeah. And, and, you know, and if there's read through and there's risks, I would just urge you to develop de-risk whatever has that read through before you start putting two programs at risk and putting investors' money at risk. And when I'll also urge people uh, always when they're advocating or being a little cavalier is to make it a little personal. So if this was your money, would you be advocating doing this? Yeah. You'll get different answers more times than not when it's their money that's being at risk as opposed to someone else's. Sure, yeah. Yeah. When it comes to execution, I know that uh, the, the talent is uh, a big part of, of execution. So let's talk about that. Um, and, 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 you know, we can we can tie back to that kind of incremental pictures of success. What, what does success on the journey look like as it relates to uh, talent acquisition and retention for that matter? You know, it's... Um to me, it all begins and ends with talent. You know, it goes back to jockeys and, and having the right, right folks. And, and you know, it, and I have a, f- a couple of, th- not surprisingly, a few thoughts on this. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, you know, first, first and, and foremost, you know, given the choice 
of have, and I may have said this before too, but I think it's an important point and it sets the stage. You know, given the choice of having a superior asset and a middling management team or a, a superior management team and a middling asset, I would always pick the latter. You know, the jockeys can always create value, but a great asset can be destroyed if you don't have the right people developing it. And so I think that really underscores and speaks the need for jockeys and trying to have the best folks available to 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 move move the needle. Uh, people who've had experience, you know, in this space, time is the enemy, and, and the shortest distance between two points is a shortcut. So you know, if you got people who have experience and know how to get things done and can learn from their past, I think there is a strategic advantage there. Um, and I think in this marketplace right now with COVID, you know, there is a lot of negative, but one of the silver the linings now is that we've be, we've debunked the fact that someone has to live in your zip code to to work. So I think you now have the ability to really you have global access uh, to the best talent available. You're no longer stuck to the hubs of Cambridge or the hubs of San Diego or Carolina or Philadelphia for that matter. And you don't need to really relocate. I mean, to me, the idea of having to relocate for the job is, you know, when you talk to kids about that, they'll be laughing at you just like they laugh at you. You knew me. What do you mean you didn't have a mobile phone? What do you mean you didn't have a computer when you were in college? Uh, you know, I feel like my, like the way my grandfather spoke to me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 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 at the end of the day, you know that that's powerful. And then lastly, you know, on that's on this, and then we can you know have go anywhere else. But I, I would say, as an industry, it's really ironic, and, and that is the fact that we 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 go all over the world trying to get the best science in the world. But when it when it but when it comes to trying to find talent in our industry, we're we're, we're somewhat uh, we artificially limit ourselves just going with resources that are have, are from the industry itself. And I think given a lot of the paradigm shifts and, and the change of how we we need to evolve. In, as an industry, I think being able to bring people in from other industries and cross fertilize that and get out of some of this insular thinking that I think predominates our sector more than probably any other is fundamentally critical. And I've often I, ironically have looked at this as, you know, we while we 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 fish the entire global ocean for technology and for innovative assets. But when we look for talent, we actually go into a small little pond. Yeah. And, and, and to me that, that there's room for improvement on that front. Yeah. And uh, so I've got a, a two part follow up question on that for you. Um, again, in the context of the current market that we're in, uh, is it, is it, X more difficult to recruit and retain talent in a, in a market that's flush with, you know, flush with cash and, and arguably, I don't even think it's arguable, short on talent, right? Um, one, is, is that difficult? Um, and how do you, how do you overcome that? And, and, and how do you overcome that kind of leads to part two of the question. I fancy you sort of, uh, you know, in, in your financial role as leaning fiscally conservative, do you do you bend a little bit on on the talent front? Like, do do you do you, uh, do you advocate a little bit more for hey, it's it's hard to come by, it's central to success 
So yeah, spend a little bit more, spend a little bit more on, on your people, your jockeys. Now it's a fair question. Um, you know, in this marketplace, retention of people are really difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, certainly in the Boston Cambridge, you know, there's a lot of anecdotal stories about people just the turnover, just uh, being incredible people just crossing the street, you know, and, and, and I'm, there's certainly nothing that's changed. Uh, so I think in terms of retention, uh, that, that's, that's going to become strategic in terms of how you, how you retain people. And I think a lot of that has to come to your, the, the, the programs. Um, and, and I think we're probably going to need to be more generous with the equity, right? I think, you know, I think the, the, you know, cash is cash and you can pay people, but you know, I, you know, the way I try to explain it to uh, my family is that, you know, the cash, you know, covers your overhead, you know, if you want to create wealth and, 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 and ultimately move the needle, it's, it's, it's good. Wealth creation is associated with the equity. So I think the equity is going to be uh, something that people may need to, there may be new, new metrics there mm-hmm. and, and notwithstanding my financial discipline, you know, to me, uh, I, I view this as very much as a team sport and that you need the right actors and you need the right horses. And, and so I, I try to be pragmatic at the end of the day. And, you know, if that's the cost of doing business, uh, then, you know, I, I, I have no issue with that. You know, yeah. it's a matter of your priorities, but to, to me, it's all about getting back to success and how do you execute? And, and to me, to improve the probability of success in terms of execution, it comes again down to the people yep. um, at the end of the day. Yeah. The business of biotech is brought to you in partnership with Cytiva. Together, we're committed to helping the leaders of new and emerging biopharma companies navigate the financial, organizational, human resources, and regulatory waters you'll encounter on your way from discovery to the clinic and beyond. Check out a host of useful resources for biotech leaders at Cytiva's Emerging Biotech Accelerator at cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A lifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. Let's let's talk about time. You know, traditionally, uh, the the pursuit of that endpoint, uh, uh, taking a, a, a biologic therapy to market, has been, and it, and it remains a long game, right? I mean, uh, to your point, it's a marathon, it's it's a long journey. Um, but at the same time, there's I think in in, in today's market, uh, perhaps uh, fed by the 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 speed at which we've moved through. COVID therapeutics and, and the COVID vaccine, there's a, a heightened sense of urgency, I think, generally around development timelines and, and, and time to market. Um, one, I'd ask, do you agree, you know, that there is sort of a, a heightened sense of urgency? Um, and, and two, what does that mean uh, from, a, from a biopharma leader's uh, perspective in terms of, you know, how, how quickly do we need to move? You know, um you know, I think it's an excellent question that you pose. You know, time is the is the enemy. So, uh, you know, to me, you you got You can't waste time. You, you know, there's a competitive landscape. There's capital market risks, and and everything is very fluid. And you know, and it's also to me, time is money. 
You know, if you look at the time, people don't consider this, you know, when you have delays in your development activity, you know, not only, you know, some people think they're saving money, right? Oh, I got more money in the bank. But in fact, you're still burning overhead. So it's actually, you've actually incrementally increased the cost uh, of success at the end of the day. So, you know, to me, there's no value with overhead. You want to minimize it, but be responsible uh, at the end of the day. So, so that's one aspect of it. And I think a lot of it is, you know, you want, and because there's not only the time of overhead, but there's the time of running bad experiments, Right. And the cost of running bad experiments. So, you know, I, I'm for one is kill early. You know, you want to run the killer experiments as soon as you can to answer the important questions. And once you answer those questions, run the next set of killer experiments to answer the next set of questions. Yeah. You know, so, you, you know, if, you, if you're answering, if you're asking the right questions up front and, and, and running the right tests, you know, you can get you can ultimately save yourself time and money by pushing drugs aside that aren't that don't hunt yep. and at the other yep. hand you know you've validated your your mechanisms and 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 that's not only going to uh, allow you to move more expeditiously but you'll also be able to raise the right capital and, and 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 avoid the trap of this being a job i think a lot of people view this as you know this is their job so they want to protect their job and it's not the focus is, is is drug development and let's figure out what doesn't work right you yeah. know so much even when you get into the clinic it's it's of low probability of success you, let's answer these questions quickly um and too many times the wrong experiments are not run uh as quickly as they should be yeah it's a it's a really interesting point i uh recently had a conversation on on this podcast with uh dietrich stefan who's uh the ceo at, at new base therapeutics and we talked about this very issue you know this this uh the 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 fell fast fell cheap kind of uh paradigm and we i'm interested in your take on this because there's a there's there's a pressure i think among biopharmas around public failure, which I think internally, you know, you, I, I've, I've, I've had conversations with several CEOs in the space about this. Internally, they, they've realized we celebrate failure. To your point, we, we killer experiments are a good thing. You know, if we're, if, we're, if we're ready to push something to the curb and focus our efforts on, on something that's got more promise, that, that's a good thing. But yet there's this exterior pressure, right, that says failure is bad. You know, if you're if you're killing experiments, uh, if if you're, if you're conducting killer experiments and moving things aside, it's uh, you know the, the perception is failure, and, and that's a bad thing from the market's perspective. It's a bad thing from a PR and IR perspective. How do we change that paradigm? Is it is it is it worth <laughs> is it worth fighting? Is it worth fighting? And and how do you strategically you know you as an advisor, how do you strategically approach that? It's a tough question. It's it's it is a tough question, but it's it's a fair question and it's on point. You know, people don't like failure, right? That's certainly something people avoid. Uh, the public doesn't like failure, particularly if you're looking at this as your job and you're looking to raise more money. But you know, you you can't be an ostrich either. We we know that that doesn't that hasn't worked very well for them. Uh, and there's a day of reckoning, I think, too. Right? You know, you either have the data and it's really have the data and put it up, or or shut up and go home. You know, I do think there's a lot of folks that do kind of try to focus 
on a, on a hypothesis. And, you know, I think you want to test that hypothesis and it works or it doesn't. I think a lot of times people try to put that square peg in a round hole. And that's where you get into, I think you get into issues of keep pushing the same premise, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, not, not to, you know, beat up on uh, Alzheimer's or the uh, amyloid uh, plaque hypothesis, but that that's a classic example uh, of people really sticking uh, very uh, doggedly at, at a hypothesis in the face of scientific evidence that seems to suggest something else. Um, so, you know, you know, so I think, you know, one of the attributes I think that are associated with the dynamic that you, you speak to is the fact that if people kill that program, do they have anything else? Mm-hmm. And that that gets into, you know, I think Maslow's hierarchy of needs and survival, you know, so it's not an objective assessment anymore. Um, so, you know, I, I would also say that it's important to try to not be so single threaded in, in an industry where there's a high level of uh, uh, clinical and development attrition, given that mostly everything you touch is going to fail, you know, to have a single threaded development program is sowing the recipes uh, uh, of uh, going out of business. You know, I think you want to develop a platform or a pipeline that gives you a couple of different ways to win and have multiple shots on goal. You know, an example that I I would point to is um, one of my former companies, Syndax, which I helped take public a couple of years ago. And we did that with an HDAC, uh, a Tinnistat, which was in phase three and had a lot of promise in IO, but it was one molecule. Yeah, we had a lot of different programs. And again, there were different ways to win there. But we knew one of the advantages of going public was that we would in, in, in help enable us to build out a pipeline of, of, of different assets with different mechanisms. So if something didn't work, you know, we weren't done. And, you know, suffice to say the Atenistat program uh, is no longer in development uh, for a number of different reasons, but to the the team's credit, you know, we, we within six months, we brought in an antibody that's that's showing some promise. The company continued to bring in assets. They have an incredibly exciting menin inhibitor now. And that's really the, fun, the fundamental basis of the company's uh, investment thesis. And it holds incredible promise. But that's because they weren't wed to the one idea. They were scientifically objective. They ran the experiments until they, the answers prove something else. But at the same point, they weren't wed to that. And they built up in parallel, they built up uh, additional pipeline assets and a different different shots on goal. And, and, and they've now positioned themselves for success. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to talk about, I want to talk about, I want to lump a couple of things together here. Discipline. And you've, you've talked about, you know, running your business uh, without, um, focusing on the, the industry hubris, um, reminds me of, uh, I, I ran, I, I was a runner in high school and college and I had a track coach in, in college. Uh, I was a four, I, I was a 400 intermediate hurdler. So I was qu- quarter mile race, you know, uh, hurdling t- 10 obstacles on the race. And I had a terrible habit, had a terrible habit during my races of looking over my shoulder, you know, you know, I was in a good position when I was looking over my shoulder because I was looking behind me at someone. Uh, but I had a bad habit of looking at the people I was running against, right? 
and my coach used to tell me to, uh, to, to run the race as though I had blinders on, you know, like, in a like, like I think horses, you know, they, in horse races, they wear these, these blinders. So, so let's talk about that. Your perspective on, uh, you know, running your business with, with, with discipline and running your business with, um, with those blinders on so that you're not distracted by the noise. And there's a lot of it right now, uh, the noise in the market. You know, I think it comes back to, you know, being focused uh, on on what you're trying to solve for. And and I think it starts with spending your money uh, as if you, you know, you only have a million or a hundred million dollars in the bank, you know, what, what, whatever it, it is, you need to have, fundamental discipline in terms of what you're trying, the questions that you're trying to solve for and and, and not take for granted that, you know, that the capital markets will always be there. Yeah. And and I think, I think the moment you get comfortable that the markets are going to be there, you've fallen into the trap. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it, it, you've suddenly, you've, you've, you're, um, you're opening yourself up. Uh, so, and you're taking your blinders off. You know, I, I think you got to stay laser focused on the mission at hand and, and, and execute on, on your programs and not get, and not fall into the trap of what other people are doing. Um, because at the end of the day, it's the, it's your execution that's ultimately going to matter. And, and it's the data and the de-risking that you've done that matters. And if you're focusing on the right programs and the market opportunity is appropriate and, 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 and you're focusing on, on, on the right areas, you know, so it comes back to your capital allocation. You know, it seems to me that if you, if you focus on the fundamental execution uh, of picking the right programs, answering the right questions, and, and moving expeditiously, and and that means getting, you know, doing things thoughtfully, so that when you make a mistake, you're not making a mistake five times. You know that you're putting in programs too quickly. Where if you get if this works doesn't work, that three other programs are going out. Mm-hmm. It's looking at, you know where you are in terms of ordering phase three uh, drug product materials uh, when you're still in phase two, you know, you know, there's steps along the way that one should look at this in the same respect, you should be looking at ordering, you know, making sure that you've got clinical preclinical proofs of concept before you start going for uh, large scale manufacturing. You know, I mean, there's a lot of times where people are saying you need your, your, your manufacturing slot, you need your materials now. So everybody's gaming everybody. And particularly in a market right now, that's so hot. I'm certainly see where I could see where people can make costly decisions uh, before they need to. So I would just caution on gating uh, gate your expenses and, and, you know, think of them as blinders uh, to going back yeah. to your analogy. But uh, I would certainly stay true to yourself because yeah. uh, at the end of the day, if you stay true to yourself, uh, the hubris will come and go. Um, and, and, but you, you're still going to have to be standing. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting point. You you know you you alluded to uh, you know getting ahead of yourself in terms of capacity, and it I, I can see that being a very uh, very easy trap to fall into. This you know manufacturing capacity, um, 
looking at that prematurely, you know, because there is, especially among CMOs and, and that entire industry, you know, there's a, there's a lot of hype around the fact that, Hey, if you want in, you better get in now because it's, you know, so restricted r- right now. Although, you know, it seems like every, every day I open up my email, there's a story about a new, new CMO breaking, breaking ground, new CDM, CDMO breaking ground. So hopefully that capacity crunch is changing, but uh, you know, it's all, all these, all these pressures, I think um, you have to acknowledge that it's, it's difficult to keep those blinders on when so many people are advising that you pay attention to so many things and move proactively because of industry dynamics. Oh, absolutely. And when you're taking money from people, people are expecting execution. So, you know, the other thing I would caution, right, is making sure that you're, the expectations that you're setting are realistic mm-hmm. uh, as well and that you can execute to those uh, because I think the management of expectations are really important. And so there's a lot of different constituencies that you need to, to balance. And if people are saying certain things, you know, you want to be relevant too. Yeah. So, but again, I, I, you know, to me, it comes down to your credibility and your integrity. And, and those things are going to matter. You know, right now, the market is buying everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to come down to a day where people are going to get rewarded for executing. Right now, people are not necessarily, the correlation of execution and access to capital is not in place. And that's, you know, another reason to be poised for some concern. You know, uh, the the underlying uh, environment is very positive right now. You know, the Fed's got our back. A lot of liquidity out there, a lot of inflows right now. And that's manifesting itself that all deals are getting done. People are buying everything and valuations are, are not currently at a level that can be rationalized by most sell-side analysts. Yeah. So it, it, it's a, there's a, I think there's a legitimate question of durability that's in the market at this point in time. Uh, you know, I'm involved with trying to tap into that now too. And it's, it's the elephant in the room, uh, you know, sunny skies right now. It, there's no reason to be concerned, but when the markets are as hot as they are, you know, there it's, it's just a warning. I think sure. that people should not consider this to be permanent. This won't last forever. And I, I guess the, the, the words of caution are just to be mindful of that. And to, to run your business uh, so it's unbridled from all the hubris and that you've got enough cash and you never have enough cash. So my, my suggestion is take it when you can and, and spend it uh, thoughtfully. You want to move things expeditiously, but not not recklessly uh, for all the reasons that we've spoken about. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, good. Good risk mitigation advice. Uh, is, is there risk? Well, since I since I bring it up, uh, is there risk mitigation advice beyond, uh, you know, the, the capital context that you would share? You know, I I, I would I would say indirectly. You know, the more money you have, you're going to do more things, arguably. And I I would just say that everything has a dollar consequence generally in some way. But I, I, I would say given time, given uh, opportunity cost, I think one of the great biggest things are there's opportunity cost with every decision that that is made. And I'm not sure opportunity cost is considered. So when you're doing experiments that you're kind of swinging for the fences, 
mm-hmm. that if you didn't have, if you weren't flush with cash, maybe you wouldn't consider such a thing. And maybe there's better, better program or better indication or something better to do with that money. Uh, so, you know, I, I would think of it in that context. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. It's, uh, it's been an enlightening conversation now. And I, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, to the point that you made about the, the, the place that we're in as an industry right now and the warning, if you will, um, ho- hopefully, uh, things continue to, to, uh, to move in a positive direction. Uh, but, uh, as we sort of paint our own paint, you know, our own picture of success as leaders of, of biopharma and emerging biopharma companies, these are, um, crazy times and important things to keep in, in consideration as you, as you move forward. And I, 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 uh, I fully, fully agree. And, and, you know, and I think what's interesting is right now the capital markets are being very, um, I wouldn't say very disciplined, and so, therefore, the, the allocation of capital is being spread evenly about. Mm. And I, I think that, you know, at some point, the pendulum is going to swing. And I'm not saying the party is going to be over, yeah. but I, I think it's natural that there's going to be some tightening and that the bars, they're going to raise the bar in terms of who they fund and who they don't fund. And I think, you know, the proxy is going to be how everyone executes with the money they have today and whether or not they deserve to be reloaded or not. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, if, if you're focused in terms of how you're allocating and how you're executing, you know, I think at the end of the day, you'll, you'll be rewarded and people will reward you for it. But for those who, who, who blow the money that they have now, right, this is a unique opportunity to execute. And for those who, who don't take this seriously, who take this for granted, it, it, you know, they may not have another chance. Yeah. Always good advice from Alan Shaw. I appreciate your uh, your coming back on the show. It's like I, I always say to my colleague Aaron Harris when she joins me on these episodes. I, I appreciate your willingness to sacrifice your professional integrity by spending an hour with me on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's a risk that I'm more than happy to continue oh, to take. I appreciate it. Thanks again, Alan. It's always a pleasure. Uh, Same here. Same here. To be continued. Thanks a lot, Matt. Absolutely. So that's Alan Shaw. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva. You can find the former at bioprocessonline.com, where I kindly request that you subscribe to my newsletter. And at the latter, you can find a trove of resources for new and emerging biotechs at cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. Before you go check those out, subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you prefer. Give us five stars if you like what you heard. And as always, thanks for listening.